You're listening to episode 85 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. Welcome to the Mud Stories Podcast. This is an episode I'm so very excited to share with you because our guest today not only has a personal mud story that she's been through that is going to just be so moving and helpful to each and every one of us, whatever hard thing we're facing, but it was also out of another muddy issue in her community that actually compelled her to create an amazing resource that is going to benefit each and every one of us when it comes to helping maneuver the muddiness of pornography exposure with our kids, which I know is such an important and crucial and ever-present topic right now that we're all facing as parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, even friends, whatever it is. And so today, Kristen Jensen is here with us. She is the founder of ProtectYoungMinds.org. She's the best-selling author of a children's book entitled Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Porn Proofing Today's Young Kids, which I'll say is amazing. I've been using it with my kids, and we'll get into that. But she received her bachelor's degree in English literature. She has a master's degree in organizational communication, and she serves on the Prevention Task Force of the National Coalition on Sexual Exploitation. So she's doing amazing things in this arena. I can't wait for you to hear from her, her wisdom, her experience. She's also the mom of three awesome children. She currently lives with her really supportive husband and extremely cute doggy in the beautiful state of Washington. Kristen, I'm so very thankful you're here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to be here. I look forward to talking with you and thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Well, I first came across your book when I listened to another podcast that had actually a professional licensed counselor. And the topic of the podcast was maneuvering pornography exposure with our kids. And they highly recommended this book of yours. And I just had to get it. I immediately went to Amazon. I got it because this is such an issue with my kids ages eight to uh, 13. And having experience with an older son who's now 20, Um, Any resource I could get my hands on that would help me as a parent maneuver this, uh, of course, received it in the mail. And, you know, we can talk about later how I my experience in using it with my kids. But I just what I found in your resource and your material, your website was so very helpful. I just couldn't wait to share it. And incidentally, the Pacific Northwest, there were some years there I had family in the Pacific Northwest and visited Seattle frequently. It has to be gorgeous right now in the spring there. I can't even imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. We love it here. We love it. Uh, We actually lived in Seattle for 15 years. Now we're in the eastern side of the state, which is a little drier, a little sunnier, but we go back often. And um, so... Yeah. Well, I just recall it being so green, of course, because you all have rain, but the cherry blossoms and the blackberries are the things that stick in my mind. And I think in the eastern side, you have lots of apples, right? 
Yes, we have apples and lots of agriculture and rolling hills, but we have rivers. So anyway, it's it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Uh, We have mountains, so it's great. We I love Washington State. Well, I know you're an English girl. Your college experience is English organizational communication. I'm a science person. So, uh, (laughs) but um, I know that you know you spend some time having an interest teaching and in human resources and development. You worked a little while at Chevron, and then you found value and purpose in organizationally managing your little people at home. I'd love to hear a little more about your family. And and then if you could take us back, an event happened in your family's life in 1992 that changed life as you knew it and uh, was some significant mud that you walked through, if we can, you know, refer to it as mud. And so I'd love for you to share with us about that, but first about your family. Sure. Well, I'm married to a great guy and we moved to the Bay Area after we graduated from college and that's where he's from and he had a job. And so I got a job with Chevron, worked there for three years, found that I was expecting, wanted to stay on, uh, went back after my daughter was born, but I'll tell you, that was uh, with the commute and 10 hours, it was just killing me. So I decided to come home and it was pretty much on faith because we really financially, when you looked at it, we couldn't do it, but somehow we made it. Yes. (laughs) And um, I did a few things on the side, writing and newsletters and such. So I had my daughter and then I had a son. And when he was 18 months old, I was pregnant with our third uh, child and daughter. And when he was 18 months old, uh, he fell into a uh, a large tub that was outside. And it was the tub where I put all the play toys in for the sandbox that we had. And so that's where we kind of kept all the toys. But it was February. And even in California, it was a little chilly and we weren't really out there that much. But I was out there uh, helping my husband. He was planting some trees down a slope and my daughter was sleeping and my young son was out playing. He loved to splash in water. And he went over to this large tub and I could see him leaning down and I just thought he was going to grab a toy. I couldn't remember what was in there. And it was a drought year in California. And so I didn't really even think about there being water there. And at that moment, my husband called up from the slope and asked if I would run in to the garage and get something for him. And so I ran in and in that space of time, my son fell in that tub and couldn't get out because they're top heavy, you know, and he fell in there and there was just like three inches of rainwater, Hmm. but kids, they don't, you know, they don't conceptualize things that like we do. Right. And so he must've sucked in some water. He drowned basically. Mm -hmm. He drowned in that tub. And by the time we found him, and got him to the hospital, he pretty much had gone, but we were doing mm-hmm. CPR on him. A uh, neighbor had come over to help. And so after about, we estimate 40, 45 minutes, they were able to resuscitate him. So he came back, but then they told us that 
even though they got his heart started, that his brain may may just be completely, you know, um, destroyed. So um, mm. we waited, and they did uh, some tests and um, found that he did still have brain activity. It was a little, you know, confused and whatever, mm-hmm. but it was it was still there. And um, so he spent about six weeks in the hospital, a couple different hospitals, and um, we were able to bring him home. But again, he was very brain damaged. Uh, he couldn't hardly blink. He couldn't eat by himself. He couldn't walk, move, talk. He was basically in a coma. Was he able to breathe on his own, Kristen? Yes, he was okay. able to breathe on his own, but he, he didn't swallow very well. Yeah. So we had a little suction machine. So you became a nurse. I did. And I had, and I, and I like got a D plus in chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't very good at science, although I married a scientific guy and I have a daughter who majored in biochemistry. So, oh, there we go. uh, I have the science kind of geeky nerd side of our family, (laughs) but, um, anyway, no, you're right. I became a nurse and I really found, Mm -hmm. um, Nursing is not just giving people medication or doing procedures. It's really caring Mm -hmm. and it's really trying to figure out, you know, how best to comfort someone. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of mysteries to be solved in nursing from what I, (laughs) from my own experience. I totally (laughs) resonate with that because it it does require you to tap into that depth of empathy that maybe you didn't even realize you had. And I think, um, I think there might be someone listening today who has had to experience what you've experienced in the sense of becoming a caregiver for a loved one who they never anticipated even, you know, venturing into the details of medical equipment or, you know, doctor's appointments or all the things that you never thought you would learn. And uh, it's incredible as a caregiver, um, the capacity that develops over time as you just are a willing vessel to say, okay, this is my assignment. I'm going to be used. What can I learn? How can I grow? You know, Um, I'd love to hear some of the lessons that came from that adversity, just as an encouragement for anyone who maybe is taking care of someone in a chronic illness state, or maybe their parent is aging, or um, maybe a disabled child, or whatever the spectrum might be, uh, what you might be able to help us in the process of, obviously, it was grief of loss of normal. And then there was, you know, the, the, the curve of becoming a caregiver, and then the ongoing process of, of uh, loss, but, but a gift at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because at the end of it, after he passed away, I remember thinking, um, because we cared for him for about nine and a half years after the accident. Okay. And um, he passed away from a grand mal seizure. And um, I felt like it had just been a a snap of my fingers, a moment in time. Mm. I didn't, it's funny because when you're going through that, it's like never ending and you wonder how you can get up the next day and do it again. But what I felt like is that it, it was a privilege, really. And I was so grateful for my son and for all that he had taught us. You know, he taught us a lot about courage and he taught us a lot about enduring and he mm-hmm. taught us a lot about being happy, even though you're in a situation that 
is very limiting and often painful. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot from him. Um, and I wouldn't want him to go through that pain again, but I am grateful for what I learned as a person and the compassion that I learned. And if I could give any words of wisdom to someone that's in the thick of it right now, it would be, um, you have to take care of yourself. It seems selfish. And if you have other children, you have to make sure you take care of them because they, they are just as deserving as a handicapped child or maybe a, an older parent or whatever, that you have to have a balance, which means nobody gets 100%. Nobody gets everything they should, right? Right. I had to come to terms with nobody was going to get everything they should. My son wasn't going to get everything. My kids weren't going to get everything, but I was going to do the best to um, be balanced. Mm-hmm. And also with myself, we had to learn... At, at the beginning, I was determined that this was not going to break up our family mm. and we were going to be able to take vacations together. We were going to haul him around on that wheelchair. <laughs> we were going to go camping with him. And and one time we went camping and t- talk about taking a kid like that camping. It's crazy. Just don't do it. Don't. I, wouldn't, I would tell people, just don't go there. But um, we finally came to our senses and realized we had to get someone to take care of him. And then we had to take our other kids Mm -hmm. on vacation so they could have a normal vacation and normal outings and and try to do it that way. So we kind of a divide and conquer kind of strategy. Um, You have to find a balance, but it takes a while. And you have to go through your own learning process and your own adjusting. So whatever your schedule is, it's just... At some point, you learn that you have to you have to get some downtime for yourself, mm. and you have to keep asking, asking people to help you, and finding ways until you can get that accomplished. Else, you won't last very long. I remember being so burnt out that I would lie in bed at night because we often had to get up with him every mm-hmm. night to reposition him, to suction him. Because was he communicative? What was his name, Kristen? His name was Lauren. Lauren. Okay. Was, Lauren. Did he did he make communication sounds? He, yeah, he could make noises, but he couldn't talk. Okay. So you could hear him, or you could even hear him struggling to breathe. Oh. Okay. Um, so you would, you know, jump up and go, and I, I got to the point where I I would hear him, and I honestly felt like a bag of lead, mm. like I could not get up, and I thought, what kind of mother am I that I can't get up and take care of my son. So I finally, um, I, I told my husband, I wake him up and we often pass like ships in the night taking care of him. But we were planning this trip to Hawaii where we had 11, 10 or 11 days away. And we had some friends that came in and took care of Lauren and they were just, just angels. And so we a month before that I just became so burned out and so my husband said just wake me up whenever you hear him just wake me up so he did double duty for mm-hmm. a month wow so that I could just get some more rest mm-hmm. and then and here he is working full time and doing I mean amazing um, it was amazing but you know sometimes you just hit your limit yeah you honestly just hit your limit and you I don't know we we're only capable of so much so. Um, after Hawaii, I felt like refreshed again, and I was able to to go on. But again, you have to get some downtime, and that would be my 
recommendation. So you have to take care of yourself. You have to find some ways to do that. So recognizing that limit and maybe, you know, seizing that option before you (laughs) sort of go over the edge would be helpful to do. And then support. I'm sure you had a support system that that um, a community that was helpful to you too. Yes. And, and you try to find those people that are willing to help. And there's, there's a lot of fear around taking care of a young child like that. So, but you know what, we got through it and um, I'm grateful for the experience. I love my son. And Mm -hmm. um, so The thing is that, you know, I was thinking about his experience and then the experience that parents have, you know, the guilt that went along with, with that Mm -hmm. um, experience and, and, but that the guilt parents feel today around their kids not being protected from um, other things, you know, we're talking about the kids today are drowning in a sea of sexual exploitation Mm -hmm. and and, and, and these very negative messages. And so how do we protect them from that? And, uh, I think, for example, I was unaware of the danger in that tub. I didn't know there was Mm -hmm. three inches of water. And even if I did, I'm not sure I would have realized Mm -hmm. how dangerous that was. I think there are a lot of parents that uh, don't fully realize the dangers that are on every iPad that's connected to the internet or on every cell phone right. or even a Kindle or even a video game right. that their child plays on and how quickly they can get into a dangerous situation, um, not only with pornography, but other kinds of dangerous situations. And I was unaware, and I find that parents are um, sometimes unaware and so it's good to become aware of that that danger. Um, well, let's launch into that. Let's launch yeah, sure. into that because I know that you had moved from the Bay Area to a new city and you received a call from a neighbor that sort of began to ignite this passion that you now are offering to the world. And so I'd love it if you'd share with us what happened, what the situation was, and if we can kind of talk through that and how your mission in the world began? Well, I certainly will tell you that I never wanted to have anything to do with pornography. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was not right. that wasn't your dream. My <laughs> life plan. No, it was not. It was icky and um, unmentionable. Yeah, I, yeah. I just did not want to have anything to do. I was thinking, well, maybe I could open up an orphanage in a developing country, or maybe I could do some other thing that would help the world be a better place. Grand, noble pursuit, right? Yes, yes, lofty. <laughs> but but no, I get to be the anti-porn lady. So, um, <laughs> Well, embrace it, friend. I, know, I am, I am. It started when, as you said, I moved to a new uh, a new city, and uh, I had met a woman, and she called me and asked if she could if we could talk, and I'm like sure, and so she starts telling me about this story, which involved her. She has a large she had a large family, and her oldest was 17 at the time. They had found that he had been sexually molesting several of his younger brothers and sisters, 
And um, he didn't get the baby. He didn't get the two-year-old, but he got the four-year-old on up. And it was a large family. And this woman homeschooled her kids because she really wanted to protect their childhood. And in any case, the the world came into her her home. And this young man was really doing what he's wired to do, which is children are wired to be imitative. So when they see adults doing something, they are wired to try it out and do it with others. I see. So this is happening a lot. The, the amount of child-on-child uh, child sexual abuse is skyrocketing. Well, in this, that podcast, when I found your book, that is what they were talking about. The counselor was saying she was seeing six, seven-year-olds in her office with families that were just devastated to learn that their small little girls and little boys were addicted to pornography and beginning to act out. And it was in the mm-hmm. acting out, they would discover that yeah. they had been viewing pornography, which the parents, I mean, these were good homes. These are not yeah. neglectful parents. Right. And um, it resonates exactly with what you're saying. I mean, I'm sure this mother was completely devastated and humiliated yep. and just, I mean, a wreck. Yep. Yep. It was, <sighs> a, it was, a, it was definitely a, a train wreck. It was horrible. And then when word got out, you know, no one wanted to have their kids play with her kids. So there was this isolation and uh, so they did move away, and that was probably a good thing. Yeah. But uh, her kids had to go through a lot of counseling. So I woke up the next morning after this long conversation that went to the wee hours of the morning, and I just felt compelled to look for materials to help kids. I'm one of these people. Yeah, I'm an English major, right? So I think there's a <laughs> book for every problem out there, or maybe... 25 books. So of course there would be. I thought there would be a book that you could just read to a child that would explain to them why pornography was not a good idea and why they needed to not look at it and whatever. So I look and look and look. I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find that resource. So I decided to do some research and to start writing it myself. And I brought on uh, Dr. Gail Pointer, who's a licensed psychologist, she was very helpful. She has counseled many people with sex and pornography addiction, so her input was very helpful. But the goal of the book was to provide a way, an easy, comfortable way for parents to begin this discussion with their children uh, to define what pornography is in a very age-appropriate way so that you're not taking mm-hmm. the, away their innocence. Uh, you can read this book to children even before you've had the sex talk and do it in a very comfortable way and teach children about addiction and about how pornography can become an addiction. Now, there's a lot of other issues around pornography other than addiction. Well, and that's what I want you to explain to us, because I think some of us might need an education from you, because the issue and problem of porn, some people may underestimate that issue. Because I will say, as a child, my first exposure to pornography was probably at 13. Mm -hmm. 
I was at a slumber party, a girl's slumber party, mm-hmm. wholesome family. The friend's dad was the family physician of the town. You know, big screen TV, big house, parents had gone to bed. And, you know, I don't think back in the 80s, there were as many filters and lockdown cable channels as we have options now. And there it appeared on the television. And I can still see an image from that night in my mind as a 45-year-old woman. And I think we underestimate the age of exposure, the um, content of pornography for those of us who don't know about it, how violent it is, the physiology of it. Could you go into some of that of giving us a purpose and an impetus and light a fire under us why we need to wake up and pay attention to this issue? Yes. Okay. Well, pornography is, as you said, it has changed. The nature of it has changed radically. It's no longer your daddy's playboy. Right. Uh, I wish it were, Mm -hmm. but it it isn't. Um, It has developed into, um, you know, videos that are terribly demeaning to women, violent to women. There's all kinds of degradation Mm -hmm. and disgusting things. And there's also... 32,000 flavors of it, you know, whatever your, um, people develop fetishes and they, you know, they want to see a particular type of sex or anyway, there's just, uh, so many, so much content out mm-hmm. there, Terrible. so much more content than is ever seen over Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or, or YouTube. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a ton of, of content. And at the click of a button. I mean, at the, at the right in, in the privacy, I mean, no longer going into dark stores with black windows, you know, or, or the magazine with a plastic over it. Right. It's any child that has access to the internet in a few taps on a screen can get to hardcore pornography for free. Mm-hmm. You just go to Twitter. I mean, seriously, right. it's, it's, it's anywhere. It's everywhere. So there's a ton of ton of it out there. It's very accessible. So it's accessible. It's affordable because a lot of it is free mm-hmm. and you can do it in anonymity. Right. So those are the three A's that kind of supercharge the engine of pornography. The other thing is that it can become, and there's a lot more science now and more and more that's coming that shows that it develops into an actual addiction, just like meth, just like cocaine, just like alcohol. And my dad was an alcoholic and I know what that does. I know what an Mm -hmm. addiction does to people Mm -hmm. and it, um, it's very, very difficult to overcome addictions. Um, of course I'm not saying that every single person develops an addiction, but this is very highly addictive because an addiction develops when the pleasure center of your brain is corrupted and Sex is is very pleasurable. And the other thing that parents, obviously, I don't need to tell people that, but the other thing that parents need to know is that children can be sexually aroused. So we often think, oh, well, there's no sexual arousal until a kid gets into puberty. And that's not true. Five-year-olds, six-year-olds, that part of their brain can be prematurely awakened and they can feel that sense of excitement, Mm -hmm. sexual arousal. Um, at the same time that they may be feeling disgusted by it, but they're pulled into it 
partly because they haven't been educated or warned, and also partly because they have less impulse control. That part of their brain, the prefrontal cortex, is not fully developed, and so they don't have as much control over their curiosity, and they often are pulled in just because they have a natural curiosity about it. But as I said, more and more studies are showing that viewing pornography can cause an actual chemical addiction in the brain. And um, And speak to the average age of exposure, because I think that might surprise a lot of people. Well, you know, there's a study that was done several years ago, even before the iPhone came out, that says that the average age is 11. Hmm. Okay. I really believe, and other people have said nine. I don't, I have, I've looked for that study. I can't find it. It's difficult to pin this down when you get to younger kids because you can't really go into a class of third graders and ask them if they've seen pornography. You're going to have problems getting that study approved. Right. So it's difficult to do this kind of study on children. You have to, what you have to do is ask people that have grown up adults and say, okay, when was the first time you saw pornography? So uh, when you think of the proliferation of you know, mobile devices Mm -hmm. and high-speed internet over those mobile devices. Again, this compounds the addictability of pornography because pornography releases dopamine. Dopamine is uh, the molecule of motivation. It's the seeking. It's what gets you to go. When you're hungry, it's, it's what gets you out of your chair, walking over to the fridge if you didn't have dopamine, you could sit in your chair and starve. Right. And you would not walk 10, 10 paces over to get something from your kitchen. So dopamine is very crucial, but it, unfortunately it turns against a child because you release a lot of dopamine when you have the super stimulus of pornography. If a child starts to masturbate to pornography, which becomes a very natural uh, thing to do, then that even makes those neural connections stronger. Mm-hmm. More addicting. Yes, and it leads into an addiction. There's been a couple of studies recently, one out of Germany and another out of England, that show the effects of pornography on the brain is similar, if not identical, to the effects of drugs and alcohol on the brain when it comes to your reward center lighting up. Wow. Um, and when it becomes to shrinkage, shrinkage of the prefrontal cortex is they do MRI studies and they see this happening with Mm -hmm. all kinds of addictions. Well, now they've seen it with pornography addiction, which basically that part of your brain are the breaks, the breaks to your behavior. And when that part is shrinking, the reason it shrinks with an addict is because the addict is no longer using their breaks. They're going right to the behavior Mm -hmm. every time they're triggered. Wow. So... This is a vi- this is a huge problem that we are it's a tsunami. We have not seen it has not even started crashing on the beach. Um but it will. Yeah. Well, and I would love for you to also speak to maybe the parent that's listening who's saying, "Well, Kristen, I have this covered. I mean, I have devices, I have filtering, I have covenant eyes, I have all the things on our devices. So, you know, thank you for your work, but this is not an issue for us. Um, 
this parent that you, you know, spoke to till the wee hours of the morning, I believe if I'm remembering right, the exposure didn't occur under her roof. Well, yeah, it, it, uh, for that young child, he was sexualized uh, via a, actually a molestation. Okay. But because his sexual center was awakened, he became seeking it. Now, this is happening all the time, though. Think about it. I get so many emails, so many messages saying that a child was exposed by a peer mm. outside of the home. And think about it. When you were a kid, I mean, you found something new and um, different and you shared it with your friends. And so that's very common and very natural for a child to do. And there are studies now showing that that is a very common way for children to be exposed to pornography is via a peer. So it's important. Now, I really applaud all those parents out there that have that have taken the time to research and to, to get a filter in place. That will really help in your home. Uh, no filter is perfect, but that will really help in your home. But once your child steps out the door mm-hmm. it, to school, to any other activity via sports, even church activities, they are vulnerable. Anytime right. they're with kids, kids, I uh, talked to a mom who picked up her child. Uh, she'd just been playing at a neighbor's house and the child uh, was showing her daughter something on an iPhone. Mm. And so when she got in the car, she says, what was she showing you? And the daughter really, she knew that it was bad, but she didn't know how to tell. So she lied mm. and said, we were watching a My Little Pony video, and it was only when the mother read good pictures, bad pictures to her daughters that they that they fessed up and they said, you know, Mom, they and this has happened time and time again. I've heard this story over and over. So what we say is kids need to develop their own internal filter. So it's great to have these external filters that filter the devices, but kids need to have a filter, a protection for their own mind, right? For their own brain. And we need to help them install that filter in their own brain. And that's what our book really is all about, is to help parents do that easily, comfortably, and in a way that, that really reduces the shame factor and brings it to a level of This is just good brain health. We're going to help you just like we teach you to protect your body and keep your body healthy and clean. We're going to do the same for your brain. Right. And that's what I loved so much. When I received your book, I really felt like it was a tool of empowerment. And um, I read it to my kids, Kristen. Actually, I had one of my middle schoolers read it to us. Wonderful. Yeah. So, and because I'm a nurse, I've always talked about human sexuality in a very open, whatever kind of way. You know, we're going to Walmart and it'll come up, or we're going, you know, we're cooking dinner and chopping something and it'll come up. I never had an official the talk with the kids. We just talk about it. I figured, you know, no matter if I'm uncomfortable or not, I'm just going to talk about it like we're talking about any other topic and it'll just be no big deal. And that's worked well for our family. Uh But for this topic, I hadn't really broached the issue of pornography by that word. And so when I got your book, I decided we have a 30 minute ride in the car to school. 
And they all try to take turns sitting in the front. And so this particular morning, my middle school son, who's in sixth grade, he is turning 12 in May. And uh, he sat in the front and I decided, you know what, guys, we're going to read a book together on the way to school. So I handed him the book. Well, unbeknownst to me, my 10-year-old, he had seen the book lying around and he had, he's my reader. He reads everywhere. He had already read it. He goes, oh, mom, that book, that's a really good book. I already read it. I already know what it says. And I said, (laughs) I said, Lucas, you read it? He goes, well, I'm practicing with my brain because I, my thinking brain's the boss. And I said, okay, well, hold on, hold on a hot minute. Let's let Braden read the book to us and see what we all think. And so he did. Long story short, um, this morning in the car, I debriefed them about the positives and the negatives about the book, what they thought, and I asked their advice. And so we can get into that a little bit after you explain the book. But man, I, I've just found it to be a beautiful way to breach that uncomfortableness of a topic that as parents, we kind of grimace like, how are we going to bring this up? Um, Jump us off into that conversation about what is your book about and how can it help us? What does it teach, teach kids and empower them with? Great. Well, really, it's a story of a mom who talks to her son and then the father comes in later about what pornography is, why it's dangerous, and how he can protect his own brain from pornography when he sees it, when he he may be exposed to it. So the first thing about the book is that it gives a very simple definition, but not just what it is, like pictures of people with no clothes on, but also how it can make you feel. It can feel like the pull of a giant magnet. Mm -hmm. Um, It can feel exciting, but but really it it can trick your brain and it can lead to an addiction. So we talk about what an addiction is, and um, we also, it's, you know, we, we teach them how it can become an addiction, because with kids, young kids, they need, they deserve to be warned, mm-hmm. because they're getting exposed, and the risk of not warning them is so, is huge. So we need a comfortable way, and that's why... I thought it's very comfortable for parents to read books to kids. This would be a comfortable way to start that discussion. But then once you educate the child, they have to have a plan, right, to deal with it. Not only to know what to do at the moment, right? Oh, oh my gosh, my friend's showing me pornography. What, What do I do? They need to have a plan in place. Right. Well, before you tell us the plan, I just want you to know, I asked my kids because my concern was, would they understand the definition of pornography as presented in the book? And the two younger resoundingly this morning told me, oh, yeah, mom, all that needs to happen is they need to know where a swimsuit covers. And that is all they need to know. And of course, and then my second grader goes, yeah, as long as they know the definition of naked, they have to know what that means. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. So I asked them, what age do you recommend that parents, you know, should read? Like, do you think this was a good age for you? Or what do you think? And so my two middle schoolers, Kristen, they said, well, I think you should read it to them before they even are aware of even the talk or anything like that. Because my middle schoolers did feel that feeling of uncomfortableness about the topic because they had heard of it before. 
But the two little ones who had never heard of it before, it was just no big deal. It was just another story. They were happy to be empowered. And they loved the thinking brain, feeling brain, and the can-do. So uh, if you can, I just wanted to encourage you with your writing. It's making a difference in our family. Oh, well, thank you. Actually, I'm writing another book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Junior, because so many parents have asked me to write one that is simpler and for a three to five-year-old age range because they are on the internet. So people ask me, what age, what Mm -hmm. age should we start this conversation? And I say the earlier, the better, Yes, you know, start as soon as they get any access to the internet, just in a very gentle way. Hey, if you ever seen anybody without any clothes on, on the internet, you need to come and tell mommy or daddy, you won't get into trouble. We just need to know. So I think that is very important. So as far as the plan, as far as the thinking brain, feeling brain, in a nutshell, we have two brains. One is all about our appetites and survival. Mm -hmm. And that's the feeling brain. Uh, We feel hungry. We feel excited. We feel we have sexual feelings. Um, The thinking brain is that prefrontal cortex. It develops later in life. And it's something that helps us put the brakes on our appetites, on our desires, mm-hmm. on those things that we impulsively want. Um, so it can be the boss. And it should be the boss because that's where we learn our ethics, our morals. That's where we learn the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. And so your feeling brain really doesn't know anything about ethics, but your thinking brain is where you learn how to be honest. And so it's important that we make our decisions with our thinking brain. Mm -hmm. And so we need to keep our thinking brain the boss. So the can-do plan is uh, C-A-N-D-O. It's easy for kids to remember. And the first part, the C-A-N part, is really about what do you do with an initial exposure? Okay. When you see it, when someone shows it to you, you know, you close your eyes, you um, always tell a trusted adult that brings down the shame factor that that um, also gets rid of secrecy, which is a big part in driving addiction. Mm-hmm. And then you name it when you see it. You label it. You say that's pornography because then that brings your thinking brain on board. Then the other two parts of the can-do plan help a child deal with the memories of pornography because they're very strong. It's very shocking. And they pop back up and they often entice a child to, you know, that curiosity to go look for more images. Mm -hmm. So um, we help, the D stands for distract yourself with something else that's exciting for that child. So you have to make a plan. If your child's into uh, horses or cars or volleyball or whatever, they need to learn to go to that when those memories pop up. Mm-hmm. And then the O is order your thinking brain to be the boss. And we have a lot more information in the book about how to actually teach a child to do that. Um, and we have the can-do plan poster, which you can get. I wanted to tell your listeners yes. that they can get a copy of this by subscribing to our Uh, blog at protectyoungminds.org, or if they're super technologically advanced and they (laughs) have a cell phone and they text on it, then 
they can text the word can do plan, all one word, can do plan okay. to four four two two two. Okay. So text can do plan to four four two two two. Okay. And you will be invited to uh, subscribe and we will send you a free copy of the can do plan. We hope you also get the book because that explains a lot more, but anything is better. You know, Mm -hmm. any kind of warning is better than nothing. So uh, we're happy to provide what we feel is a very valuable resource to parents to help their children and to begin this conversation and to hopefully continue this conversation. And one thing I wanted to tell you, Jackie, when you told me about how your 10-year-old found the book, and um, (laughs) that's, I have heard many stories of this happening. And I heard one from a six-year-old found the book. The mother started reading it and then put it down. And the six-year-old went and finished reading it and uh, said, hey, mom, that's a great book. I have heard so many kids say they love this book. And you know why? Kids love being empowered. They love learning about their bodies and their brain. And the younger you start, Mm -hmm. the more matter of fact they are about it. It's not hard to start a conversation Mm -hmm. with a four, five, six-year-old. It is difficult to start a conversation with a 13, 14, 15-year-old if this is the first time you've talked about it. Um, But it's still no less important. Whatever age. You, it's better to start no matter what age it is. Mm-hmm. It's better to get, get that conversation started. And we shouldn't be afraid that it's going to incite more curiosity for them to search out pornography, would you say? Because I think that's a fear a lot of parents have of bringing it up. Yes, I hear that all the time. Aren't we going to just make them more curious? Listen, there's so much sexualized mm-hmm. imagery out there on every TV Yep. Uh, show on in every mall on so many you know there's so much these kids are already curious and they have friends that have cell phones at school and so there no no there's no I don't think there's any downside to starting a warning I mean if you knew that on your street there was a crack cocaine dealer wanting to get your kid hooked uh, you would do all kinds of things to protect your child. And one of the things you would do is stay away from that guy. That's right. That person that's trying to get you on cat cocaine that's right. because that could hurt your brain. So we need to just start that conversation early. You have two choices. You can be the expert on pornography and sex and the one that answers your child's questions or the internet can be the one to do it. In secrecy and guilt and shame. And right. really, Kristen, it's not a matter of if they're going to be exposed. It's a matter of when they're going to be exposed. And it's just, unfortunately, a facet of the society we live in. And, uh, you know, even my middle schoolers told me today, I said, what would you want parents to know as our experience was reading this book and for them to be open like we're seeking to be open? And that's that's what they said. They said, this is a great book. Just read it to your kids before they even know anything, and then it'll be no big deal. And right. They'll uh, have a plan. They'll know exactly what to do. And they'll feel trusted. Kids love to feel trusted. And they'll have a lingo to use, you know, like, yes. I want my thinking brain to be boss. And so in the last week or two, we've been talking, 
you know, as a family about, okay, well, is that part of our feeling brain? Is that part of our thinking brain? And it really is important that we can. And it goes goes to issues of self-control in life and choosing Mm -hmm. to love when others are unkind to us or choosing to be kind or going out of your way to be a friend when it might be more inconvenient for you. All kinds of ways in life that we choose to do what's right, even when it doesn't feel right. And it's strengthening that discipline in our character. It's just another facet of it, really. Yeah. I've had people say, you need to write a parenting book using the thinking brain, feeling brain. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, well, I'll add that to the list because I want to write a book for girls. I want to write, you know, I have several books coming down the line, but but parents can use, it's a very, very powerful concept, that thinking brain, feeling brain. And uh, when when you teach children, and I've had parents of kids that are um, on the autism spectrum too, mm. and they have difficulties with executive functioning. This concept has really helped them as well. So very powerful for kids. We need to empower our kids against the media that is out there to protect themselves and to have a clue about how dangerous it can be. And like I said, with kids, we talk about addiction. We talk about the physical changes to the brain. We talk about that. Obviously, as they get older, there are a lot of other issues that we can talk to them about you know, sexual exploitation, the fact that pornography is linked to sexual trafficking, you know, all these things that are maybe social justice issues Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. But for little children, we kind of steered clear of that with this book because they're very concrete and black and white, and we need to just give them a very simple explanation. They deserve it. They need it. They do. And I have so many stories of children that were taught the can-do plan, they've been uh, read uh, good pictures, bad pictures, and then they're exposed and they know exactly what to do. They turn away from it. They even tell their friends, hey, did you know that can become an addiction? You shouldn't be looking at that. (laughs) And then they go tell their mom and their mom can now know what's happening, have more and their dad, whatever, Mm -hmm. and they can talk to them and and help those kids through it because really their immature thinking brain we need to help them with our mature thinking brain that's right that's a part of parenting that's right. what we do when we say hey grab your coat it's chilly outside you know right uh, we're always doing that for our kids teaching them to use their thinking brain helping them to mature and so we need to teach them to use their thinking brain against media and pornography that is out there that can lure them in. And um, it's very natural. Good kids get pulled into this all the time. It has nothing to do with how good they are, has nothing to do with what kind of family they come from. This is an equal opportunity um, monster out there. And so parents that are Willing to protect their children, need to give their kids, need to arm their children against this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I cannot be more thankful for what you've created. Kristen, do you have any last thoughts for the parent who has a child who already has been exposed, um, who needs to seek further assistance for working through this? Can this be a book that they still can utilize? Are there... um, 
you know, obviously yes. you're not a professional licensed counselor, but no. you know, we would recommend that to, for them to seek out in their local area. Right. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yes. So on our website, protectyoungminds.org, we have basically three buckets there. We have prepare and prevent. We have help and heal. And then we have share and speak out. So in the help and heal part, you can go in there. We have quite a lot of information. And then you can send away for our free smart plan, which is to help parents begin to address um, a child that has already gotten into this. Okay. And so it's uh, first thing is stay calm. Mm. If you can be calm about this, if you find that your child has been into this, most parents want to just like, ah! right? You know? Freak out. But yeah, freak out. If you can <laughs> take time to deal with your own emotions first, mm-hmm. that's really important. We have a lot of good information about this. We also have information from therapists in this guide. Second thing is make a plan. So make a plan, figure out, okay, how am I going to take time? You have time. You do not have to address this within 24 hours of you finding out. You can take the time you need to calm yourself, to make a plan, to figure out, to get yourself educated and to figure out how you're going to deal with this. Now, as far as kids that are, um, we have resources that, from kids that have been able to pull themselves out of this, uh, some kids won't be able to do that. If they have a true addiction, I believe when your brain is truly addicted, you need another brain to help you uh, for accountability and and, and guidance. Mm-hmm. So there are resources. I would say that you need to find someone who has dealt with this before Um some I know in our local area there's a like a sexual assault resource center mm-hmm. and sometimes because I believe that pornography is sexual abuse to children. Yes. I really believe that. It's shocking. It changes their sexual template. It 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 leads often to them becoming sexual predators. And I'll tell you, one uh, therapist told me, she said, you may think it's really bad for um, your kid to have been sexually molested or abused by another child, but it's worse if your child has been the the abuser. It's oh, worse. Can't and imagine. That's what pornography teaches our children to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important. So I think the same people that do the sexual assault, you know, that kind, they at least have some inkling and they can help a child work through this. Um, there are not enough therapists trained. Um, so sometimes parents feel like they're a little bit on their own, but they can begin. And I hope they'll go to our website and get that smart guide mm-hmm. because it really does have some good beginning information to help parents on this on this journey. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. And, you know, I just think the message that you're sending is you know, there is always hope. We can start from where we are. Hopefully we can get 
to begin at a place of prevention, but even still, there's always hope and we just need to start the conversation wherever we are. I really honestly believe that this book that you've created is such a beautiful resource that acts as a springboard to begin that conversation, uh, whatever it is. So That's right. We need to bring pornography out of the dark right. where it has power right. and into the light where our kids have power. Right. And that's what I hope this book and our website Protect Young Minds is going to do. There is a lot of hope. When I speak to parents, you know, I get called on to speak and I always say, well, I'll speak. Sometimes I get asked to speak to teens because that's that's intervention right there. Right. That's intervention. But I always insist, no, I have to also speak to parents of young children because how did we how do we overcome smallpox? How do we overcome some of these terrible viruses? It's through inoculation, right? inoculating the young before they're exposed so that their immune system, right, or their brain, their thinking brain is prepared with a defense. Right. So that's what the book is all about, preparing your kids with a defense against pornography. It's very alluring to children. They're very curious about it. And so when they have this defense, they know exactly mm-hmm. how to protect themselves. And it hands them back the control. Yeah. You know? It really yeah. does. Yeah. Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us here and for sharing not only your personal story, but the work that you're doing. Um, I will have a link to all the ways they can get the book in the show notes. And incidentally, I did you self-publish this book? We did. We set up our own publishing company, Glencove Press, and we did self-publish it. It was such a new kind of book. Well, and such a need. We didn't need to wait yeah. three years to get it. <laughs> well, I know. And it's and that's you have to wait a long time mm-hmm. for the kind of mainstream publishing world to right. to do their thing. But um, we've been a number one bestseller on Amazon ever since we started. So Great. I'm very grateful for the response. I'm so happy for people like you to help me get the message out mm. to parents, a message of, of, like you said, hope and empowerment for our yes. kids. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Have an amazing day, Kristen. Thank you, Jackie. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Wow, I am just so very thankful that Kristen was here. And for the resource that she's created, you guys, this is such a muddy place of parenting right now. And I really wanted to pass it along to you. Really, I wanted to share with you the answers that I had found to this dilemma I'd been having about bringing up this topic. And so my deepest prayer is that this is meeting you right where you are. And this is going to help you as it has helped me. I... I, tr- I truly bring you the things that I personally have benefited from, that I think you can benefit from. And so you can find all the links to Kristen and all that she mentioned over on the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 85. And if you click on the artwork within the app that you're listening to this podcast episode on your mobile device, if you're listening on a mobile device, all the links that you need will be right there underneath that picture. It's my picture, the picture of the artwork of this show. So there you'll find a link uh, not only to Kristen, to the show notes page, but also to subscribe to the show and leave a rating, a review. If you haven't already done that, I would be so, so thankful if you would consider doing that. And that way you won't miss anything and other people will be able to be exposed to this show and these mud stories so that they can be helped too. Let's be a community and a people who share 
this content and help others not feel so alone in even the mud of this. This is so hard for so many of us. Also, I'm going to put a direct link for you to buy Kristen's book right there in the notes within the app or on the show notes page. Her book is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and it's available on Amazon. Now, also, I should say, if you ever want to buy something on Amazon and at the same time help support this show, you can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash Amazon. That'll take you directly to Amazon like you had intended to go all along. But the difference is you'll be getting what you need and a small portion of whatever you end up spending after you've clicked through that link will actually go back to support this show. And I would be so, so thankful. You know, of course, you can imagine this show does cost money to make and it's my passion and my gift and I believe in our stories and I really want to be that beacon of hope for you because I wished when I was in that hard place in my life, I remember feeling like I didn't have hope and I remember wishing there was someone I could turn to who would give me, you know, someone who was just slightly ahead of me on their journey out of the mud that would give me a little bit of hope to know that I could make it. And I remember being in that place and I don't want you to feel alone like I felt alone. And so I feel so passionate about this show, about this ministry, about this mission and purpose. And yet it is, it is something that costs money. And so this is a small way that you could help give back to the show if the show's meant anything to you, if it's met you in a hard place and given you that hope that you've wanted. Um, Amazon doesn't give a whole lot back. It's a small percentage, but man, it would help if you'd be willing to do that. So JackieWatkins.com forward slash Amazon, or you can go through any of the links that I've placed in the show notes page or underneath the artwork of this show in the app for you to be able to click through and buy Kristen's book. And I really do hope you will get it. You know, my show is not a show about book reviews. It just happens to be that people who are willing to write their stories have books to share. And I only bring you the very best, the books that have really meant something to me personally. And so it's my hope and desire that today, whatever it is that you're facing, that you would know that you are so very loved and you are never, ever alone. I will see you here next week. Next week, we're going to have a pre-show on Monday. So look for that. I can't wait to share with you that episode. And we're going to get to know our guest a little bit on Monday. And then on Wednesday, I'll bring you the full mud story. So until then, have a beautiful day.